keynote address from Sir Keir Starmer MP, leader of the Labour Party, recorded at Queen's University Belfast on Friday 13th of January 2023. Good morning ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Queen's University Belfast for our speech by the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. We are going to be live on TV, so before we start, could I ask people to make sure their mobile phones are on silent? Um, you can tweet, you can certainly comment, you can take photographs, but please make sure they're on silent. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce the President and Vice-Chancellor of Queen's University, Belfast, Professor Ian Greer. Well, thank you, Ryan, for that introduction. I'm really delighted to welcome the leader of His Majesty's Opposition, Sir Keir Starmer, here at Queen's University Belfast today. His visit is really timely because we're in the midst of a significant political challenge here in Northern Ireland. And we're really privileged to have him here at Queen's, a fantastic venue to deliver such an important speech addressing the key issues of today. We could not wish for a more fitting setting. On the walls of this great hall hang many portraits of leading Queen's alumni, many of whom played a significant role in the peace process the late Professor Lord David Trimble, the former President of Ireland, Professor Mary McAleese, the late Baroness May Blood, and of course, our former Chancellor, Senator George J. Mitchell. We're fast approaching the 25th anniversary of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. Queen's will mark this important milestone with a major international conference over three days in April. A conference that will not only look back, but will look forward, envisioning the future opportunities for Northern Ireland. We'll be announcing the conference programme shortly, and I do look forward to welcoming Sir Keir to that conference in due course. Now, Keir is no stranger to this part of the world. Indeed, his connection to the peace process in Northern Ireland predates his political career. It goes back to the early days of police service reform at the outset of the agreement implementation. Shortly after he was appointed a Queen's Council in 2002, Keir served as a human rights advisor to the Northern Ireland Policing Board. The board was formed to oversee the newly created police service of Northern Ireland. In that role, many policing board members benefited, benefited from Keir's wisdom and Keir's advice. These members came from all political parties, all of whom benefited from that advice, and many have gone on to senior office. Following an impressive career as a barrister, Keir became Director of Public Prosecutions from 2008 to 2013, dealing effectively with many high-profile cases and issues during his tenure. He introduced a range of processes to improve the legal system and was knighted for his services to law and criminal justice in 2014. After stepping down as DPP, he entered Parliament as MP for Holborn and St Pancras in 2014, and he's held a number of posts within the Shadow Cabinet, notably the Shadow Secretary of State for exiting the EU, an issue that, of course, continues to cause us significant concerns here in Northern Ireland. The lack of agreement on the protocol issues and the lack of a Northern Ireland executive and assembly is having a really profound effect on our community on issues ranging from health to higher education. We urgently need an agreement on the outstanding issues and on the restoration of the Friday of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement institutions. In the higher education sector here in Northern Ireland, we're particularly concerned about the challenges facing our students and our staff. 
The current arrangement creates significant inequality of access to higher education for our young people, who are seriously disadvantaged by local provision and access compared to England. We still lose 30% of our young people to GB. Most don't return. This fuels a shortage of skilled graduates to meet the needs of our growing economy and risks economic growth stalling at a time when we've invested in innovation with our city deal programmes. Despite the pressing need to invest, an investment that delivers enormous return, in Queen's case, a benefit-to-cost ratio of 8.2 to 1, the sector is facing cuts. Cuts at a time when we need another 5,000 university places just to keep pace with the growing demand from the increasing population of 18-year-olds in Northern Ireland. Not to expand this provision can only create further disadvantage and disillusionment over the next few years. So failure to invest in our young people will have a deep socio-economic impact which will affect our ability to attract and retain major employers and investors to this great part of the world. Clearly the issue at the top of the political agenda is a restored Northern Ireland executive. In the room today are many political leaders. I hope that the discussions that we have this morning can serve to advance progress as we work together to find solutions. Our community in Northern Ireland urgently needs your leadership. And now, ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you to join me in welcoming Sir Keir Starmer to the platform. Thank you, Ian, for that introduction. It's always an honour to speak at Queen's, so I'd like to thank the President and Vice-President for the invitation today. This is a special place, a first-class university for research, technology and innovation, business and health, an institution that's always been rooted in its communities here in Belfast and in Northern Ireland but which also enjoys a huge global reach, a reach never more on display than the, in the appointment of your chancellors. And we can see them on the wall here today. After all, who better to carry the message of peace this city embodies around the world than Hillary Clinton? I've been here to Queen's many times. In fact, I remember the last time clearly because I was halfway through my speech when the United Kingdom announced a vote on Article 50. What a relief it is that that's all now behind us. Now that day when I last came, I came here to reflect on the success of the Police Service of Northern Ireland and my role as the Human Rights Advisor to the Policing Board, which oversees it. I'm immensely proud of the work of the board, of that whole period in my life. It's given me a lasting love of Northern Ireland, friendships that have endured, including people in this room here today. Memories I'll always cherish. And you know, after we were married, my wife and I took our first holiday here because I wanted to show her Northern Ireland, the people and the communities that I'd met. I was in love with this island, and that love has stayed with me. It's also taught me so much about politics. 
about change, about the power of hope. And this year is a moment of reflection for Northern Ireland and speaking for myself, standing here in 2023, it's hard to describe just how different it feels to the Northern Ireland of 20 years ago when I first came to take up my role here. How raw the emotions were back then in a country still coming to terms with its hard-won but fragile peace. I wanted a chance to serve because it felt like a huge moment, a chance to turn the pages on decades, if not centuries, of pain. And I wanted to make a contribution, help to create a lasting institution, one that could reach out to all communities, hold the police to account, and in doing so, help pursue the peace for future generations. I think we did that. Accountability, transparency, human rights. The framework we put in place was critical for both communities to have a degree of faith that the police service of Northern Ireland was new, was different, was worth those first risky steps. We were tested, of course, every day. As Tony Blair said at the time, every advance made in the name of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement has to be ground out. But over time, policing in Northern Ireland did change. The PSNI did become an institution which enjoys cross-community support. Catholics did sign up to serve. Not enough. In Northern Ireland, you can always point to the work that still needs to be done. But if you'd said to us then, in 2003, that in 20 years we'd have the PSNI we have today, that one day a Sinn Féin leader would stand shoulder to shoulder with unionist leaders in a campaign to help recruit new officers, Yes, that would have felt like an achievement worth celebrating. And there are people here today who deserve huge credit for helping to make that happen. Now, this year should be a year we celebrate achievements like that. All the achievements, big and small, of the Good Friday Agreement. 25 years of relative peace, prosperity, and a better Northern Ireland. It's a proud moment for me reflecting on the small role I played in that. And it's obviously a huge moment for my party. The Good Friday Agreement is the greatest achievement of the Labour Party in my lifetime without question. But of course, the real achievement, the real pride, belongs to the people and the communities here in Northern Ireland. It's your bravery your determination, your courage, resilience, and yes, your willingness to sacrifice, to compromise, to stand despite everything in the shoes of other communities, and above all, to keep doing so when there were bumps in the road, provocation, outbreaks of violence. That's what won this peace. It's why I fell in love with this place, I'd never seen anything like that spirit, that hope. I talk a lot about hope at the moment, about how hard it is for people to get through the challenges we face without the real possibility of something better. 
how as we lurch from crisis to crisis, we're losing our faith that the future will be better for our children. Some communities in the United Kingdom might once have taken that for granted, but not here. Because what I saw in Northern Ireland 20 years ago were people and communities experiencing that hope for the first time. It's what powered the Good Friday Agreement, drove the communities of this country on towards the history they made. And we've got to get it back. Because I get the sense, with the protocol, with the political situation at Stormont, not to mention the other problems we see here, the NHS, the cost of living, an economy on its knees, that the thought of April being a true celebration feels a little on ice. I understand that. Anniversaries are hard in Northern Ireland. Looking back is hard. Even when we do so with pride, as we should in April, it's tough. The past is a painful place for so many people, so many communities. People have suffered a lot. And with that comes a fear. Fear that if we stop trying to move forward, if things grind to a halt, then we could yet go backwards. It's why, here more than anywhere, you always need that hope of a better future. That's the spirit of 1998. That's what the Good Friday Agreement asked of people. It wasn't to forgive or forget. They were demands that could never be made. It was only to look forward, to commit to a journey, walk step by step, each stride difficult, each stride precious, towards a better future together. The anniversary this year should be a true celebration. People deserve that. History was made here, hard won. But to respect that history, people also deserve action on the issues which currently hold Northern Ireland back for politics to do its job and give people the chance to look forward with hope. Now, there is a small window of opportunity before April. We've got to use the anniversary to fix minds, get the country and its political process moving forward again, deliver for the people of Northern Ireland. I see two key priorities for this. They're both urgent, both need to happen now. And so, of course, they rely on a change of direction from the Prime Minister. But in each priority, I also want to show the values I will bring to Northern Ireland if I have the honour to serve as Prime Minister. First, the British government must normalise and strengthen relationships with Dublin. The Taoiseach held out an olive branch in recent weeks. We must take it. But honestly, relations should never have been this strained. Brexit was a rupture in the UK's diplomatic stance, a call to change in every area of our society, which had to be recognised. I've been very clear about this. My government will make it work. We'll take on the mantle of that vote 
will turn its slogans into practical solutions. Yet throughout the last seven years, nothing has been more self-defeating than the determination of some Conservative ministers to see our friends in Dublin as adversaries on Brexit. That has damaged the political process here in Northern Ireland, no question. And it's certainly not the spirit of 1998. We should never lose sight of what binds us together on these islands. Our shared commitment to peace here, above all other considerations. So I encourage the Prime Minister, as the Taoiseach has said, to recognise past mistakes. It will help him with the second priority, the obvious one, the protocol. Look, there's no point varnishing the truth. To get beyond the current stalemate, we have to make the protocol work. Nobody wants to see unnecessary checks on goods moving between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We just need to find a solution. And I want to commend the recent agreement on trade data sharing, commend the EU, commend the government. If they are finally serious about a deal, there will be no sniping from us. I can promise you that. I go back to the Good Friday Agreement. The pride we feel in the Labour Party towards it has no bounds. But we know the political effort didn't just come from us, from Tony Blair and Mo Molan. It didn't come just from Bertie Ahern and Mary McAleese, from the unwavering support from the US, Bill Clinton, George Mitchell, or the tenacity and brilliance of John Hume and David Trimble. It was also built on the work of John Major and Albert Reynolds, and afterwards by Lord Patton, whose commission led to the PSNI and the policing board in the first place. My point is this. The spirit of 1998 on both islands is not one of tribal politics. This is the process which brought Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness together, and they made it work. There can be no clearer example than that. So I say to the Prime Minister, if there is a deal to do in coming weeks, do it. Whatever political cover you need, whatever mechanisms in Westminster you require, if it delivers for our national interest and the people of Northern Ireland, we will support you. The time for action on the protocol is now. The time to stand up to the ERG is now. The time to put Northern Ireland above a Brexit purity cult which can never be satisfied is now. We can find ways to remove the majority of checks, a bespoke SPS agreement, a monitoring system that eradicates checks on goods that will only ever be sold in Northern Ireland. The opportunity for these reforms is there, and they would deliver for communities and businesses across these islands. Northern Ireland can be prosperous under the protocol, but it requires leadership from you, Prime Minister. And look, I enjoyed my dialogue with the DUP and unionist parties yesterday. So I want to reach out on this. 
speak to all unionist communities. There are legitimate problems with the protocol, and these must be recognised in any negotiations. And as for the process that got us here to this point, I think your anger about that is more than justified. I said this yesterday. I will say it here, and I want every community in Northern Ireland to hear it. The Labour Party will always be a good faith guarantor of the Constitution and the principle of consent. That commitment is written into the agreement we want to celebrate in April. It stands above politics. It should stand above Brexit negotiations as well. I think people know that we would have done things differently and that we will stand by those values when in government. But I also want to say this. In the coming weeks, it's possible there will be siren voices in Westminster that say again, there's another path, a path that doesn't require compromise on the protocol. In fact, it's possible those siren voices will include, may even be led by, the very people who created the protocol, that were cavalier with the constitutional settlement of this United Kingdom, that came to this island and acted, to be blunt, in bad faith. You can listen to those voices, of course. It's not for me to determine the interests of any community here. But I would counsel that the example to follow is not theirs, but the spirit of negotiation, of conciliation, of courage. That, in the end, is always the force which moves Northern Ireland forward towards the future. That's what I want to do in April, look forward. Northern Ireland is personal to me. The Good Friday Agreement is personal to me. The drift, the lack of momentum, the elevation of ideological politics above the constitutional settlement, that would never happen with my Labour government. Would never happen with any Labour government. It's not how we approach politics on this island. It's not how my predecessors helped broker peace. My ambition as Prime Minister would be to give the people of Northern Ireland the hope I saw here in 2003. The sort of hope you can build your future around. That aspirations are made of. And which can, as we've seen for 25 years, bring communities together. Ordinary hope and ordinary politics. That's what the people of Northern Ireland deserve. And we will govern by their example. When things get tough, we will persevere. Embrace the spirit of 1998. Keep our eyes fixed firmly on the future. A future of peace and prosperity. Partnership between Britain and Ireland. And a politics which delivers for every community in Northern Ireland. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. We've got some questions. I'm going to take some media questions first and then some from uh, everybody else. Can I start, please, with Gareth Gordon, BBC Northern Ireland? Gareth. Morning, Sir Keir. Um, 
first of all, you talk about the need for the government to stand up to the ERG. How likely is that when the ERG seem to be essentially running the NIO, number one and number two at the NIO are former chairs of the ERG, and perhaps you saw a little bit of that this week in their interactions over Mary Lou McDonald's involvement in protocol talks, and just secondly, isn't it likely that the EU and the UK will do a deal in the next few months over the protocol and it will be presented to the parties, including the DUP, on a take-it-or-leave-it basis? Well, look, um, Gareth, I do think genuinely that there's a window of opportunity to make progress here. There has been important progress in the last few days. Um, and I want there to be progress. And that's what I mean by not being tribal about this. We would take no comfort in a failure by the government to make progress. So I want the government uh, and the EU to make progress. Um, and if they do so, we will support them. And that is because, in the past, the ERG um, have blocked progress. Um, and so I'm being very clear with the Prime Minister um, in saying that if we do get a deal, and it's in the national interest, in the interests of Northern Ireland, then we will support it, notwithstanding the ERG and whatever position they take. And that's why I say it now. It's because uh, I think progress here is above politics. It has, that's what, that was the spirit of 1998, uh, and it has to be the spirit now, 25 years later, as we try to make progress. Thank you. Vicky from UTV. Uh, good morning, Sir Keir. On a similar vein, you've spoken this morning about giving the government political cover for a deal on the protocol. Does that support, uh, is it conditional on support from all the parties in Northern Ireland? Again, you've spoken about reaching out to unionists this morning. The DUP, of course, are essential to getting Stormont back up and running. So is your support to the government, uh, is it, are you, are you giving kind of some kind of commitment that you will listen to the DUP as well? Uh, uh, thank you, Vicky. Um, of course we'll listen to the DUP as well. I had very extensive um, and very productive discussions with all the political parties yesterday, including the DUP, um, and we'll continue to engage with all political parties on this. Um, I do think, um, reflecting on those discussions, that there is a, a shared sense that we can make progress just at the moment. Of course there will be challenges, of course there will be difficulties, um, and my message in my speech to the DUP and others um, was a reflection of the discussions we've been having in recent days and weeks. Um, so I do offer that support to the government, knowing what the challenges are. Um, and it's why I say in particular uh, or that my view is that the siren voices, and there will be siren voices, as soon as there's any progress, there will be siren voices saying, don't compromise, don't go forward. They may be led by, as I say, the very people who negotiated the protocol in the first place. And I'm inviting, I'm suggesting that those siren voices should be left to one side and we move together forward. I will engage with the DUP and others as we do that um, because I do think there is this window of opportunity to go forward. Thank you, Vicky. Jude from the FT. Yes, thank you, Sakir. Um, sorry, I'll sit down because I've got too many bits That's right. here. Um, you mentioned in, in your government that you wouldn't allow drift to continue, but there's a very real possibility, isn't there, that there might be a deal that's acceptable to London and Brussels that doesn't fly with the DUP, that doesn't get Stormont back up and running. 
Say this drift continues, it's happened before in Northern Ireland, and you come in as Prime Minister, what do you do to end that? How do you break that deadlock? Well, I would act in government as I acted yesterday and as I've acted in the last three years, which is to engage meaningfully with all the political parties here in Northern Ireland. Um, and that's what we did yesterday, it's what we've done previously, it's what we'll continue to do. Um, we would also, as I said out in the speech a moment ago, um, reset the relations with Ireland. They should never have been allowed to get into the state they've been in for the past few years. So um, we would um, reset that relationship. That is a priority for me, for an incoming Labour government, but also to settle a protocol and move forward, engaging with all the political parties here in Northern Ireland. Of course that's difficult, but we have to make progress. We have to take the same mindset as we had in 1998, elevate this above politics, um, and ensure that the siren voices that always hold Northern Ireland back are silenced and we can move forward. Thank you, Jude. Uh, David from PA, I think. Good, mor uh, good morning, Sir Keir. Uh, as you said, a deal may materialize in the coming weeks, um, a deal may not materialize in the coming weeks. We also may get a deal that um, has, has been referenced, the DUP may not sign up to, and this could continue uh, to drift without Stormont in place for, for the coming years. Um, a Labour government, if you do come into power, there are those that um, potentially suggest the solution to this ultimately, and a way to address unionist concerns about their place within the union being undermined, is a UK-wide approach to the EU and a closer relationship with the EU, with the EU on a UK-wide basis, you know, potentially in, in a, an overarching SPS deal or some form of customs union. Would, the, would a Labour government be, be prepared to countenance that if it ultimately delivered um, the DUP buy-in and a return to power sharing at Stormont? Well, um, I've made clear that um, what an incoming Labour government would do was, would be to make Brexit work. All we've got at the moment um, is um, a deal and not a very good deal for the whole of the United Kingdom. And we need to improve on that. We need closer trading relations. We need better joint work on research and technology. We need stronger security arrangements. All of that, I think, is possible if we're able to restore good faith and integrity into the negotiations. So we would move forward to make Brexit work for the whole of the United Kingdom. Um, and that would, I think, inevitably... Uh, reduce some of the tensions in relation to the situation in Northern Ireland. But having said that, what I don't, the message I do not want to give today is that somehow we can wait for hopefully a future Labour government. Of course I want that to happen. What I want is progress now. I think what businesses and communities here in Northern Ireland want is progress now. And that's why um, rather than simply say wait for an incoming Labour government to take a different grown-up approach, negotiating better faith for a better future, which we will do. Um, I want progress on the protocol now, which is why I'm prepared to say to the Prime Minister, if you do um, manage to get a deal which is in the national interest, in the interest of Northern Ireland, then we will support it, um, and therefore you don't need to worry about those siren voices in the ERG, who undoubtedly uh, will be the voices holding Northern Ireland back. Thank you, David, and, and Amanda. 
Thank you, Amanda Ferguson. Um, I just want to look forward a little bit, uh, Sir Keir. Obviously, if you do become Prime Minister, you may well be the Prime Minister that has to oversee the process of a border poll on the island of Ireland that may take place at some point in, in the coming years. Um, of course, the British and Irish governments have a, a particular role as co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement in Northern Ireland and have to reflect unionist and nationalist positions, but you have spoken before uh, about your unionism. So I'm just wondering, um, why are you a unionist and what is your pitch uh, to the people of Northern Ireland about why they're best placed to uh, maintain the union? Well, look, Amanda, I think um, we're getting way ahead of ourselves uh, in relation to uh, that question. The, 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 the focus and the priority at the moment is obviously on the protocol. We were in hours and hours of discussion with the political parties here in Northern Ireland yesterday, and the protocol was you know, the single focus of those discussions. Of course, there are other issues um, that are always to be discussed um, in any discussions in Northern Ireland, but that is the absolute focus, um, and that is what we will bring to bear, along with the task of making Brexit work, which will be central to the tasks and priorities of an incoming Labour government. Thank you, Amanda. Can I now invite Pro Vice-Chancellor Professor Nola Hewitt-Dundas up to the stage, please, uh, so that I can take some questions from the audience. So, Keir, thank you so much for the very informative uh, and broad-reaching speech that you've just given, and very passionate speech, full of hope, and hope was used so many times within that. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot about Brexit, we've talked a lot about the protocol. Uh, we would like to open it up to the audience, because I'm sure there are also other issues that uh, people are exercised about. Yes, uh, if you could just wait for the roving mic to reach you, that would be great. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Sir Keir. My name is Cleona McCarney. Um, as we approach 25 years uh, since the Good Friday Agreement, Labour's greatest achievement in Northern Ireland, I wanted to ask when you become Prime Minister, and I'm saying when, not if, because I'm hopeful and excited, what will your priorities be for Northern Ireland? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I mean, I, you know, we don't know when the next election is going to be, other than it will have to be in the next two years. Um, we hope... Uh, that we can bring about change. I think um, increasingly there's a sense of um, frustration that we haven't got the hope and change that we need. Um, what I will bring to Northern Ireland are the values that underpin the Good Friday Agreement. Um, that, as I say, was the single biggest achievement of the last Labour government, and we're proud of it, and we understand those values which are hardwired into that agreement, and hardwired, frankly, into the Labour Party. I bring, um, I hope, um, an understanding of Northern Ireland, having had the privilege of working here for five years, and understanding um, what that hope, what those values meant in practice to so many people and communities here. It's why I love this place. Um, but also a sense of a positive future for the United Kingdom. Whatever the challenges are that are out there, um, I see each of those challenges as a huge opportunity. And this morning, inevitably, we talk about the protocol. But there are many other issues, energy, business, what we do about our health service, what we do about the economy, all of which are challenges, all of which I think we should run to and grab as opportunities for the future. So um, an incoming Labour Party will be um, a government of hope and of change um, so that we can get our future back. Thank you. Okay, um, just over here. 
Sir Keir, welcome back to Queen's. Uh, I'm Kieran McAvoy, I'm a law professor here in the university. Um, my question is about uh, dealing with the legacy of the conflict. Um, as you know, um, there is a piece of legislation going back before the Lords, the Northern Ireland Troubles and Reconciliation Bill, um, which your party has rightly opposed, as have all of the opposition parties in Westminster. That bill is opposed by all of the political parties here, rare consensus politically here. It's opposed by victims' organisations across the community. It's opposed by the Irish government. It's opposed by everyone on this island, basically, in terms of the major stakeholders, more or less. So I don't think, the Labour, I don't think a Labour government would ever have introduced such a piece of legislation. But it's a direct question. If you are elected Prime Minister, will you repeal that bill? Uh, yes. Um, but, but let me... Let me just elaborate a little, because obviously, having had the privilege of working here for five years with the Policing Board, the Police Service of Northern Ireland, um, I know firsthand, and having spoken to many, many victims and victims' representatives, I know just how deep this goes for very obvious reasons. Um, I think the legislation is wrong in principle, but worse than that, or alongside that, um, no government in Westminster, in my view, should ever introduce legislation which has no support from any of the political parties in Northern Ireland and no support from the victims who are at the heart of this. Um, and I think that previous governments, Labour and Conservatives, would have understood that. And it shows you how far this Conservative government in recent years has moved from a genuine understanding of the principles and values of the Good Friday Agreement, that they would even countenance introducing legislation with zero political support here and zero support from um, the victims. Uh, we wouldn't do it um, and we'd repeal it if it's on the statute book when we come into power. Thank you. Okay, there's a further question here. Hi, I'm, I'm Chloe Ferguson. I'm the president of the National Students' Union here in Northern Ireland. We're obviously here in Queen's today, a place of learning, and I suppose to kind of ground this conversation in that as well, in the future of the Labour Party. Um, how would you prioritise and commit to the role of fully funded education to create further access for students and apprentices and higher and further education and a potential future Labour government, but also Northern Ireland? And on that, how would you particularly deliver for students and apprentices in this cost of living crisis? Because we are seeing a real lack of that from the government currently. Thank you. Well, look, thank you very much for raising that. And um, I think that students at the moment are having a particularly hard time um, because of the opportunities that are being denied and because of the funding and because of the cost of living crisis, which hits students very, very hard. Uh, I do think we could move forward um, on this. I want students here in Northern Ireland, across the United Kingdom, to have the opportunity to study here if they want to, but to study elsewhere if they want to do that as well. It's a very important uh, opportunity. I want students from across the world to be welcome to study here in the United Kingdom. I want the best students to come here because I want them to study here. Um, and I know that if they do study here in Northern Ireland or the United Kingdom, um, all the evidence shows uh, that that builds a relationship which is beneficial for everyone um, going forward. I think it's not just students, though. You mentioned apprentices as well. Um, too often, I think, um, we sort of put students and university here and um, apprentices over there, and they should not be in two separate places. They should be on an equal footing, um, equally regarded, equally respected. Um, and so we want um, an uplifting, huge apprenticeship scheme going forward to uh, allow 
young people to come out of school and take either path um, and feel the pride and dignity that goes with either going to university, of course, um, or going on to apprenticeship, um, of course. And um, in a way, this is personal to me. I was lucky enough to be the first person in my family to go to university. Um, my dad, by contrast, was a, was a toolmaker, um, a skilled engineer working in a factory, and I couldn't help feeling for many years that um, deep down there was this sense that university was good, but skilled engineering um, not so much. Completely wrong, um, and we need to turn that around. Thank you very much for that question. Okay, there really is no shortage of hands in this hall going up this morning. Um, I think we have another one here, and the roving mic has already been passed to you. Hi, uh, um, Kieran Portbury, one of the sabbatical officers here at Queen's Students' Union. Um, I want to ask, in recent years, more and more young people have been emigrating from Northern Ireland, uh, young people who were born around or even after the Good Friday Agreement was formed, um, because we're seeing an assembly that time and time again cannot function and in the name of the protocol dances around some of the key issues. We have a cost of living crisis that's worsening by the day. There's the continued refusal to practically implement abortion services despite decriminalization and the inability to tackle gendered violence as women in Northern Ireland are unable to feel safe in any real aspect of their lives. I want to ask, with the upcoming 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, how are young people in Northern Ireland expected to celebrate this anniversary when time and time again we've been left with no real support through crisis after crisis in recent years? Can I empathise and challenge? Empathise because there is a real cost of living crisis, the institutions aren't up, the frustration um, is there, and whichever way you look, it looks as though there were challenges everywhere. Sometimes it feels impossible to, to rise to those challenges. But what I would say is, just think back to 25 years ago. Think about the enormity of the issues that were being dealt with, enormous issues going into 1998, and the courage and commitment it took to move forward despite those challenges. And my challenge, back to you on the protocol in many senses, is if it was possible 25 years ago to bring people together around the Belfast Good Friday Agreement, notwithstanding the enormity of those challenges, it must surely be possible now to make progress on the protocol, on the future of Northern Ireland and the future of the United Kingdom. But we need to do that together. And young people are hugely important in this because it's your future that we're determining through the actions that we take today. So thank you for raising that. I, I can feel the frustration that you have with the challenges that are there, not of your making. Um, but I do say, um, you know, I do think we can face up to these challenges. Um, they are really important challenges, but compared with what was being addressed when the Good Friday Agreement was agreed, they are lesser challenges, in my view, and can be overcome. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Um, there are very many more questions, but unfortunately, um, Sir Keir has an incredibly busy agenda and we're going to have to draw a line under it. Sir Keir, thank you for your time. Thank you for your depth of understanding of the, the issues that are here, the very complex issues. But what has most definitely come across is your passion to find a way forward and commitment, a personal commitment to doing that and achieving that. So we very much appreciate you coming and spending time with us here this morning. Thank, thank you. you so much and thank you all for coming this morning. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. For more in this series, visit the Shaping a Better World podcast page, go.qub.ac.uk slash shaping hyphen pod. 
and follow us at QUB Engagement.